For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to episode 129 of The Ethical Life, a place where each week we talk about the intersection of ethics in modern life. I'm Scott Rada, social media manager for Lee Enterprises, and I'm joined as always by Rick Kite, who is the head of the Ethics Institute at Viterbo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Hello, Rick. Hi, Scott. There was a time not all that long ago when most Americans in their 20s did several things, often in quick succession. They got married, started a family, joined a church, bought a house, and subscribed to the local newspaper. Once that checklist was complete, you were clearly an adult. Today, however, things aren't nearly so simple. Rick, we talk about how the world is changing at an ever-quickening pace, but one of the few things that seems to be slowing down is when young people consider themselves to be an adult. And those milestones I outlined earlier are happening much later in life, if at all. Do you think the change we've seen with this slow path to adulthood is good for society? No. Well, that's it. We're done. We're done. <laughs> why, 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 why do you say that so soundly? What we're finding is that, that uh, young people are growing up more slowly. So it's not just that they're doing these things later. They're not really as ready for doing them. Um, and... Exactly why that is, we know it's related to technology and, and widespread technology use among, among young people. That, that explains, by the way, why each generation, this is according to Jean Twenge's uh, research that's documented in her, her book, Generations, like every generation of the past five, each one grows up more slowly than, than the previous one, right? Um, and that's, that's due almost solely to technological changes uh, because technology makes us, give, gives us more freedom, makes us more individualistic. But it also seems to deny us opportunities for taking on meaningful responsibility within our homes and within our communities. And so I think that that change, um, this not being ready for assuming some of these things that we mark with milestones, it's not so much that achieving the milestones, like, is it that important that not as many people are buying houses as early? Well, that's due to economic factors and all kinds of other things. Um, but is it, like, is it meaningful that it seems that a lot of young people aren't ready to take steps into what we claim to be adulthood? Um, I, I think that's important. I think it indicates a, 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 a delay in the readiness to accept responsibility. And I think it's an important question to ask, though, is you say they don't feel like they're ready to do these things. Mm -hmm. Are they wrong? I no, mean, I think they're right. You think they're right. So you don't think that they're just being too careful? No, Jean Twenge says that she thinks that probably... Um, 
like Gen Z is, which is like anybody younger than twenty-five or thirty. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of their their emotional maturity level is is more like around fourteen uh, when they're eighteen years old compared to other generations, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It, they just it just it's going to take them into their twenties before they have the same kind of maturity levels that eighteen-year-olds had a couple generations ago. One of the easiest things to track on this um, is marriage. And it, I looked, there was a stat that I found that it says the median age at first marriage has risen steadily from the 1950s, where the average age was 21. And I'll tell you, my parents, when they got married in the 1950s, my mom uh, was 18 and my father was 21. So, I mean, they were just right there with a lot of their peers. And uh, today, it's jumped nine years to about 30 years old. Now, you hear, though, and I remember even as a kid hearing that the age was continuing to grow. And again, I should clarify for listeners, this is people's first marriage. So if somebody gets married later in life when they're 50 or 60, this is not, this won't skew that data. And I remember hearing about these things, that people are waiting longer to get married. And I think even maybe my mother's talked about this, saying, you know, she just can't imagine it's a great idea when you're 18 or 19 to just make what's one of the most important decisions of your life. And there's nothing wrong with waiting until you're into your 20s to do that. I think that's a message a lot of people got. Do people hear that maybe and think, well, geez, if I, I don't need to get married as soon, and, and that just sort of makes sense to not put that on the fast track, that I'll just sort of slow everything down as well? Yeah, I think it's slowing everything down, but it, then it's also meaning you're you're delaying all the ways in which you kind of integrate into meaningful roles in community life. Mm-hmm. Um, be, because one of the things is you, you've got a lot more freedom, and so you're, you're pursuing a lot more individual interests. In some ways, I mean, we all like that, but then we're seeing a real change in the age. For example, people who volunteer, people who are yeah. members of groups, all of these things that are part of taking our part in what makes our communities better, all that gets delayed because you've got young people that are that are pursuing their individual interests. And be it in, in college, be it in, you know, living with roommates or whatever the case might be. Yeah. Which is in, in many ways is really good for them. It's really hard for a society to maintain itself in that way because then who's who's playing the roles of taking care of all of our institutions. But I mean, I just want to stop though on the marriage thing and we'll move on, I promise. But you have two sons who are older than 18. Yeah. I, I don't imagine either of them were seriously considering marrying someone when they were 18. Is that correct? No. But had they come to you the summer after they graduated from high school and said, Dad, I just met this girl and she is great and we're going to get married. And you have every reason to believe she's a perfectly okay woman, as best you can tell, and we'll assume she's the same age. What would your reaction have been? I would have wanted them to wait. Okay, because? I don't think they would have been ready. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think that's because of part of the generation they're in. But you, but maybe my parents, of course, you don't, didn't know them when they were 18, and I'm, certainly I didn't, but they might have been. They might have been. They were probably... For example, your mother was probably babysitting at a pretty young age. I would think probably. Right? 
In Illinois, it's 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 considered child abuse to leave a child under the age of fourteen home alone. Yeah, um, and it's very likely in your mother's generation there were a lot of young girls who were 11, 12, 13, who are babysitting younger kids. I think I probably was. Right. And and they were parts of communities with larger families. Yep. So they had all kinds of experiences of parenting around them, right? And they were, in a way, playing at parenting through babysitting and things like this. Most 18-year-olds today haven't. They've, they've had babysitters until they were well into adolescence. They and they haven't been babysitting. They haven't been caring for younger brothers and sisters. And so they really aren't as mature and aren't as ready to get married at that age. I guess it's not a surprise that people getting married almost a decade later than they used to leads to what we just talked about, fewer children. There is a story we'll link to from the Wall Street Journal, but it reports that it's estimated that there were about three point six six million babies born in the U.S. last year. That is a decline of 15% since 2007, even though there are 9% more women in their prime childbearing years. Not a surprise in this country, and certainly even a bigger trend in some other developed countries where that uh, the birth rate is continuing to fall. There was a quote in the Wall Street Journal story that jumped out at me that said, quote, people aren't able to have the number of kids that they want. There's a growing feeling that if you were to have kids, you really need to provide something for them. You have to do all these things to give your kids advantages because the world is really tough right now. In a world where social mobility is limited and there's a weak societal safety net, I think a lot of people look around and say, well, maybe not. And I think it is true, and I've read this other places, where if you look and ask people how many children... And again, these are people will will probably say are married and in at least in some sort of stable living situation. And you ask them, how many kids would you want? And then how many kids do they end up having? Those numbers sometimes can be a ways apart. They're a ways apart. And and I find like the reasons that they give, like the reasons quoted here mm-hmm. in the Wall Street Journal, are lots of it just false. It's a wide shared perception, but this stuff about zero social safety net. We've never had such robust so- social safety net in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's not even close. And limited social mobility, there's always been limited social mobility. And so, like, you have, in some ways, more more resources, more more promising futures for, for young people now than we've ever had. Um, the difference is, among the generation that's of child-rearing age, you have more anxiety, more depression, more all. We've talked about this a lot, and I'm going to come back to this. There's there's a widespread perception among this generation that the world is getting worse, and that, um, and you'll even hear hear things like talk about eco anxiety, things mm-hmm. like it's irresponsible to bring a child into the world during a time of climate change. Things like, well, there's always been future dangers in the world, and that's it's never stopped people from having kids before. So. I think the reasons people are giving and what's actually going on is very different. And I think one of the things simply that's going on is they're feeling a lot more pressure about right. child raising. Yeah, and I think everything you say is true. What I'd stack on top of that, though, is that there are unrealistic expectations of what 
they that prospective parents feel they have to provide for their kids. Like I know a good friend of mine who raised four children and they lived in a house that had three medium to smallish bedrooms. So mom and dad had a bedroom, the two boys shared a bedroom, and the two girls shared a bedroom. And one time one of the kids came home and says, mom, you know, none of none of the kids at, at my school share a room. Her response was, I don't get my own room in the house, neither will you. And, but that, but it's, but it's, and I've heard people say, and I'm sure you know this too, and this is a different discussion about changing uh, uh, expectations when folks go to college, but there are many cases where the first time a person has someone who they share a room with is at college. Yeah. And it's nuts. I like we, we've created these real unrealistic expectations for children and like what kind of environment children should be be raised in and that's put all kinds of pressure on on parents at the same time we don't teach parenting classes mm. right why why don't we parenting is really hard and and most young people right now are are growing up as as i mentioned a little bit ago they're not growing up with the experience of babysitting or caring for younger brothers and sisters because they're ra- being raised in small families they're, they're maybe not in the kinds of communities in which they have a network of aunts and uncles or grandparents and all that. And so they're more limited in their experience and kind of network that can help them with child raising. And yet we're not teaching them how to raise kids. You could understand it in, in communities in which you had a whole network of extended family and neighbors and so forth around that were going to help you and give you advice and tell you what to do. In some ways, I think it's a terrifying prospect to raise children because we're not providing young couples with any resources and any knowledge. And may, and maybe, just to go back to something you said earlier, maybe that in some weird way is what they're referring to as a social safety net. Um, That could be, Yeah. I, that there's not grandma down the street and aunt and uncles across town and, you know, all these, you know, familial resources within uh, a very close by uh, neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So, so when we kind of went through the list of things at the beginning and I, I kind of the kind of delineate when one may become an adult and I even mentioned bought a house. And I think I would even, I guess in retrospect, maybe in some cases rephrase some of that. In In some cases, it's just simply having your own place because there are, as we know, more young people living with uh, family up well into their 20s. And of course, it's not uncommon at all for people in that age group to have roommates as well. And on that topic, and we'll link to this as well, there was a story in The Atlantic, and I'll just quote from that for a moment, that says, where growing up was once marked by parenthood, now it's marked by participation in the economy. Uh, they quote a psychotherapist named Satya Doyle Bayak, and she's the author of Quarter Life, The Search for Self in Early Adulthood. And under this new model, she says, living alone is seen as a symbol of success, but having your own place doesn't actually signify all that much other than you can pay your likely high rent. And in many cases, it's not it's a mark of wealth, not maturity. And, and I guess the reason that this jumped out at me was I think there is sort of a confusion maybe between those last two things about 
wealth or I guess financial independence as, as much as someone can be at that age and maturity. And those are pretty different things, right? Well, vastly different things. Um, I was just trying to think. I, I've lived on my own hard, hardly at all. Really? Yeah. I mean, I was in uh, one time in college, one year, I had a single dorm room, but I was in in a dorm with a whole bunch of people. And we had a common kitchen, so I oh. I was closer, you know, living in closer proximity with people than ever. And the bathroom uh, right? was down the hall. I'm the sure. ba- shared yeah. bathroom down the hall, all that sort of thing. And then, you know, I graduated from college and I had had roommates, uh, like because I couldn't afford a place on my own. Mm-hmm. And I was and this wasn't this wasn't like the high rents of the 2010s either. No, a few years. No, ago. but yeah. you know, like yeah. It, yeah, there was so there was four of us sharing a house and barely making rent and sharing, you know, a place that, so in some ways it's just these changing expectations with smaller families and many children growing up with their individual rooms. And then, and many of them go off to college and then have separate dorm rooms, right? Sometimes they share rooms, but many places now they're choosing places where they're not doing that. And then, and then, so this mark maturity is getting, yeah, getting their own place, but it's not really a sign of maturity. And and there's many cultures in which you never do that. You just never live on your own unless you have no choice. And I heard a, a discussion uh, on a podcast I listened to uh, today, in fact, that talked a little bit, and this is something we talked about on a previous episode, gosh, maybe almost a year ago now, that we see men, young men and young women maturing differently the show is about a lot of things, but one thing it touched upon was how you'll have, especially with the the recent statistics showing that many more women are in college than young men, and and that women, and I think you've talked about this in your college, are finding it tough sometimes to find someone who is a peer in a lot of ways to to date because a lot of the young men they know are are likely not in college or have a whole different life or career outlook or are just not making themselves available in social settings as much as they used to. And And, and men in general have a harder time being in a relationship in which they don't have a dominant social status. Yes. Because men, as a rule, tend to be more status-oriented than than women. And Well, it was like you were listening to the show. And um, that's exactly what, what was said. I guess it just makes me wonder that as we talk about today, where becoming an adult seems to be a ever lengthening and slower process, the divergence of of how genders are, you know, where young women are taking a somewhat significantly different path in life than young men, that just seems like it's going to make this trend in many cases even worse. It is. I'm 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 really concerned about um, a lot of the um, I would say social messaging that we have right now, and we've talked about this a little bit before. We have a lot of negative messaging directed towards young men and boys, which is not helping with this. We're finding more achievement and more all the time by by young women. That's a good thing, except it's it's making many of them miserable once they get to the point where they want to find a partner, especially if they want to have children. When when you step back and look like what overall, what like what does the future look? We're it um it looks like it looks like we're in a, for a rocky few years 
socially. The other thing that I find really surprising is new studies that are showing that we're we're seeing a real difference in the political outlooks of men and women, right? Like young women especially are trending much more liberal and young men are trending much more conservative. And Well, again, just just to put a pin in that for a second, because again, it was like you were listening to the podcast I was listening to. What was that podcast? The podcast I was listening to was Plain English with Derek Thompson, and it was called The Gender War Within Gen Z. And he interviewed um, Alice Evans, who was, uh, she was talking about this exact issue. And, And I guess how they set it up was that studies showed that young women are, are, becoming more and more progressive. She wouldn't, Alice strongly argued they were becoming more liberal. Right. Well, well, liberal has kind of lost its meaning. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. That was part of the discussion. And that studies showed that young men are becoming slightly more conservative, but it is not as pronounced of a curve as it is for women. There is, it's, I think, you know, in many, many, many election cycles, that women have a propensity to vote more for Democrats and men more for Republicans. But this seems to be gaining even among younger people. And what's interesting that they talked about during the show is this is not strictly an American issue. They're seeing these similar trends in Europe and especially parts of East Asia. Mm. And I would say in, in especially in progressive society, uh, Prosperous societies. Yes, correct. Yeah, that is these correct. are technologically advanced and economically prosperous areas. Although, again, I want to ruin the whole show if you've not listened to it. No, they, I haven't, but I, I yeah, like Derek yeah, Thompson. Yeah. yeah, and and they talked a bit in the show, and, and I think one something that's really not talked about enough on an economic uh, side of the equation is that over the past 10 or 20 years, the United States has vastly outperformed Europe. Um, in in most in most measures, and and then the thought was that because there are more men who are who kind of view the world as a zero sum gain outcome, that if if women have you know more power, are making more in the workplace, what have you, that somehow they're at that they're they're the they're on the losing side of this. That that, that that would seem to be something that would be even more pronounced in countries that are struggling a little more economically. But in this case, it seems to be fairly, and again, we're not talking about you know third world countries, but in all uh, advanced countries in this country or in this world, that it seems to be pretty consistent. Maybe the biggest exclamation point of it is in South uh, Korea due to some cultural issues that have long, long been uh, going on there. Until we hear more about that, I'd, I'd point you toward that podcast that we'll link to in the show notes. But that was interesting too. But again, that's a little different situation than we're dealing with here in the United States. But this trend, I guess I want to stress, is not an American-only phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. Though, you know, it's it's been interesting because I I, I see like trends in my classroom. Yeah. And and sometimes they they match what we see as kind of national or international trends. Sometimes they don't. But one of the things I've been noticing over the last five years or so is that women are, young women are becoming much more confident and assertive. Young men are becoming more hesitant and quieter. Um, and so when I started teaching, you know, like 25 years ago, I would really have to draw a lot of the young women out to get their opinions, to get them to speak their minds. And 
and and young men would be dominating conversation. I'd have to kind of uh, slow them down a little bit. It's just the opposite right now. We we continue as a society to operate under this idea that that young women are at a disadvantage. We have to encourage them to lean in and to find their voice and everything else. And that has not been my experience at all. At least recently. Recently, yeah. Yeah, I, I was wondering too, and again, this is more just looking at it strictly through the United States, but I wonder if at all that we send sort of a mixed message a little bit when it becomes to what is, what is an adult, and that's sort of how we're mm-hmm. framing up the show, is that in, in most parts or maybe almost all parts of the U.S., I think you can drive when you're 16, a lot of uh, legal... Uh, Things happen when you turn 18, including the right to vote, obviously the ability to serve in the U.S. military, and then 21, which, I mean, this doesn't seem like a big deal now as, a, as somebody who's well past 21, but like when you're 19 and 20, like not being able to drink seems like a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And and now um, you have to be 21 to drink. And I think, am I right to buy cigarettes? Is that true too, I think? Oh, that could be. I think it is. Obviously, it, uh, well, we don't smoke, but I think that's is, yeah. true. So, like, is it weird that we sort of have this stair-step approach to how we unroll these rights to become an adult? Or and, and I guess maybe the other question is, do we have these in the right spot? If, in fact, people, young people are maturing at a more uh, a slower path, should we ever think about changing these ages? Boy, that's you know that's a good question. Should we think of changing them? I'm, we have changed some things like the, the drinking age, yeah. and and generally that's been in response to real problems. So what we see like real issues of underage drinking. Well, and more importantly too, there is nothing in the Constitution that gives you a right to drink. Right. So right. I mean, you talk about voting, military. So, I mean, those are are different than you know having a beer. And and states have different ages for when you can obtain a learning permit. So right. I think there's yeah there's like five or six states where the age is fourteen. Yeah, I, I know a friend, and I think I'm right on the details here. And I know we have a lot of listeners in Nebraska, but I think when my friend was younger, I think you could be fourteen as long as you were driving to school. Because in his part of the state, which was really a rural part of the state, they did not have school buses. Mm-hmm. So you could drive to school and you could, I think, pick some like a neighbor friend up and drive to school. But then you could not stop at the corner store on the way home. You had to go home. Right. And I, th- and I think South Dakota might have been even younger for, mm. for many years because they have so, there's so many farming communities. And, and you, people and you were would, so spread out. And people were so spread out. And sometimes you would need um, kids to be driving uh, pickups or tractors or things like yeah. that on the yeah. road for a period of time working. So- However, I think that's changed, and there's, you know, you. I think a national push to standardize driver's license uh, age, that sort of thing. But um, I don't know. I mean, this I don't. Is, I don't. I don't. But your bigger question, I don't know how we would even <laughs> start a discussion yeah. about changing. Should we change the voting age, for example? I think that would just be a disaster. It, I think it would, and I and you know this better than me, but I'm pretty sure I'm right that. You you deal with a lot of nineteen year olds, right? Mm-hmm. Are all nineteen year olds the same? <laughs> no, they're very different. And that's the problem, and, right? Yeah. And so, for something like driving, we have a driver's test, and yeah. some some do not pass when they're sixteen, and they you know they take that test a few more times there, and they're clearly not ready for it, right? Um, 
We don't have voting tests. Yeah. We don't have tests for most of those other things. You tend to get a, to be able to drink beer in a bar? Right. We we, we should have a voting test, I think. Well, I mean, that I don't know. That does no, like, like, how would you do it? Yeah, and that also right. seems like we're going back to like poll taxes or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I Well, yeah, I, I take that back. I don't think... We should have robust civics education. Yes, it should be central to to school from from early ages, and in that sense, we should have tests, <laughs> right? If you're gonna if you're gonna graduate from high school, you should know the difference between the you know, executive and legislative and judicial branches. Before we close, I wanted to just uh, talk about something that just bothers me. You often see, this is a social media thing, so I shouldn't take these things, I shouldn't get too excited about these things, I suppose. But you'll often hear, you know, see like memes pop up or even just people writing about like, oh, you know, I had a, I, I had to go out and get groceries today and stop off and pay my insurance premium and then get an oil change in my car. That I was adulting all day. And obviously the point is that those none of those things I described are especially fun or interesting. And the, the thought is that anything to do with being an adult is just drudgery. And yeah, I mean, are there things about being an adult that are that fit in that category? Yeah, of course there are. I'm much more on the side of it being an adult, at least in the United States, it's not such a bad thing. I mean, we have a lot of freedom. We can do like, and there's there's all sorts of people who are going to scream, well, yes, if you have the money and if you have your health and if, uh, yeah, sure, all those things are true. But I would much rather be an adult than I would be a 15-year-old who can't do many of the things I just sort of take for granted. See, there you go. One of those adulting attitudes that-, that... But, but do, you, do, you think being, do you think being an adult is terrible? No, I think it's a good thing. We had this profound shift take place in our culture when mass media came along and, and, and different forms of entertainment that that really glorified youth in a way. Rock and roll is part of this this movement. Um, and so you see in the in the 50s and 60s, you see the beginnings of it, but then it really takes hold. and the age at which like it's it's really ideal um keeps getting younger and younger right and so then that at the same time that we've kind of glorified youth we've disparaged age yeah and um and, and it's not just that we don't have the same kind of respect um for for age it's that like we don't even use the term elders anymore now, in, in any kind of traditionalist culture, uh, elders are honored as, have, as having a kind of wisdom and providing guidance. But when you have a society that's always changing and changing rapidly because of the influx of new technology, um, suddenly, like, knowing how you used to do things isn't valuable anymore because it's outdated, it's obsolete. And so then... Uh, instead of honoring age, you make fun of them because they're incompetent. They don't know how to use things. They can't navigate, you know, things. And then, and then, pretty soon, when you have, you know, sites like uh, like TikTok that really help 
develop even a new language, mm-hmm. right? So you have all these terms in terms like adulting, mm-hmm. right? And then you have emojis that have different kinds of meanings that, that are for young people and, and older people are sometimes baffled by what in the world does that little picture mean, that sort of thing. Um, uh, we've had this profound shift and the, the shift has come because because culture is changing really, really rapidly, and so then then it's it, it doesn't take long to get outdated. But then adulting comes to also be kind of pejorative. Yeah. Like anything that represents acting like an older person. So I, I can't remember what company has that commercial, but but it's the one where there's this advisor saying, don't become like your parents. Oh, it's one of these, in, I think it's an insurance uh, firm. One of yeah, the insurances. Yeah. That shows you how effective funny commercials yeah. are. Like you remember, I've, I've the, chuckled at it a number of times, but I have no idea no, which company. No idea what company. Probably Geico because they have a bunch of others. But Could who be, knows? Yeah. Like there's there's a lot of insurance companies that are advertising right now, and and um, but that that's that's symptomatic of of the culture is kind of poking fun at the way that older people do things, and that one of the problems with that is like. We forget that older people actually do have quite a bit of wisdom about certain kinds of things that that I'm I'm well aware people my age can be pretty inept when it comes to the latest technology. But also I think you get to a certain age and you realize that you've learned a lot about things like human relationship. I think that gets lost in this and, and part of adulting, I think the most important part of adulting is the the both the attitude towards and the habit of taking responsibility for things that are greater than ourselves um, and that's really important so that's that's what I think that we have to be aware of here with this delay in the onset of of growing up becoming adults is there also a delay in the the ability to be responsible because there's a lot to be responsible for. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We end each show by tackling an ethical dilemma. And Rick, here is my question for you. And, and as is often the case, this is something that really happened to me. So Travis and I have been talking for a while now about replacing one of our cars. And um, we had a car that we just... We never really liked all that much and knew that was the one that was going to be traded in. And we were thinking, and I never, I just never thought I would say this. I never, ever thought I would say this, but we thought we might want a small little truck. So we, and it was really, we were out for breakfast on a Saturday morning and we were driving past a car dealership and let's just test drive a car or in Mm -hmm. this case, a truck. And we did. And it was like, you know, that's not, that just wasn't the right one for us. But I'm like, okay, well, while we're thinking about this, while we know that's not the right one, here is the one in my mind that I thought we should check out. So we drove to another dealer in another part of town. And I said, I want to look at this vehicle. And we would dealt with the salesperson. 
And he said, oh, and he kind of told us about the car. And he said, why do you try this one? And we drove, eh, it's, it's, it's had some positives and negatives. So we come back and say, well, we like this about it. We did it like this about it. He's like, well, let me, let's try this one instead. And he gave us another one, which of course was a little more money, but we were just, we thought the other one was a little, frankly, underpowered. This one was absolutely not underpowered. And we were driving and I'm like, you know, this, this is sort of like what we want. And this is, this is, this, this, this could be it. And so we came back and we had a bunch more questions and, and again, took the time to answer the questions and, and talked about the different trim levels and all that kind of good stuff. And this was on a Saturday, Saturday afternoon. And this is the case in Wisconsin, and this is a little tangent, but this is the case in Wisconsin and other states. It is illegal to have a car dealership open and selling cars on Sunday. It's mm. a ridiculous law, but that's the rule. So so on Saturday, knowing that we couldn't do anything on Sunday, the salesperson wrote up. I said, well, you know, we're going to bring in the car we don't like that we own for a trade-in evaluation on Monday. But if you could just sort of setting that aside write down your best offer on this so we can review it and talk about it over the weekend. We'll bring in the trade-in and then we'll decide what we want to do. Because I, I, at this point, was eager to move quickly on this. So he gave me the paperwork. We said goodbye. And now it's Sunday. And of course, there is something called the internet, if you've heard mm-hmm. of that. So I started like looking around, and this is not a ridiculously common vehicle, but there are other ones out there. And there's no other dealer in our city that sells this make and model. But we're within two hours. I Within two hours, there was one, two, three, four other dealerships that had the same model and the same trim level we had identified that we wanted. And in two of those instances, like, because everybody has nice websites now, on two of those instances, they were offering the car at like $1,500 less than the piece of paper I was given from the local dealer. So I sent an email that Sunday, knowing, of course, it would be responded till Monday, saying thanks for taking the time and showing us all the stuff and spending time with us and all that. I did look around uh, and found that this dealership and this dealership, include links here, had the same vehicle at the trim package we're looking for for $1,500 less than you quoted. I just said, I'd just as soon do business locally. So I think I phrased it, let's hope we can come to a, a, a deal that works for both of us, I think is how I phrased it. I'm not going to tell you the end of the story yet, but the question here in that long windup is because of the time that the local dealership spent with me and giving me the different cars and explaining the differences and because assuming I'm not going any moving anywhere and I don't think I am that that's the the dealer will be dealing with if warranty things come up or other service issues over the period of that car's warranty do I, is that, should I, should I have taken that approach or, sh- or I guess what, what's the ethical thing to do? Because you've often said that the easiest way to judge an ethical dilemma is what would you like someone to do if you were in their shoes? Well, I promise you, if, if I were in the salesman's shoes, I'd want that guy to spend 1500 bucks more and buy the car for me. So what, before I tell you how the story ends, 
what would you say the ethical uh, responsibility I have for taking up the time and the expertise of the local dealership, to me, that may not be worth $1,500. I, I think you were maybe too flippant about saying if you were in that position, if you were, if you were the salesperson and you were spending that time with a customer um, and then you, they, they come to you and say, look, I there's these other dealerships that have, in a two-hour drive have it for $1,500 less. Would you feel that the, the customer had deceived you or manipulated you in any way? No. I mean, assuming that, and again, I provided links to web pages. Yeah. As long as I wasn't making stuff up, like, some guy's offering it for $10,000 less. Well, that'd yeah. be deceptive. But yeah, I was not being deceptive. Yeah. I, and, and, I, so I, and I think you were also being completely honest, and you were saying, look, I'd, I'd rather buy it from you. You're being, and, and giving them the chance. You are, you weren't, just driving up to the other driving town. Driving up the other town and doing it. Um, and they're well aware of what the prices are in the other places. They've chosen what their price will be. And so they're, I would guess they're making a little more uh, on their cars. And, and, and they're probably figuring that they can do that based on the inventory they have. And they will sell it at that price. And mm -hmm. so and if you aren't going to buy it, somebody else will mm -hmm. at that price. And and if they thought they weren't going to sell it at the price, they would come down. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think you're doing anything unfair or unethical or unethical. You're you're not practicing any deception. Mm -hmm. You weren't manipulating. You weren't you weren't going into that arrangement knowing that they're asking more money, and thinking oh the way that I can um, get them to come down is I'm going to act like I'm going to buy it at this price all the way along and then just say, oh, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. You you went into this in good faith and then you found out. Yeah, I did. Right? A con yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah. So I think that's the other way of looking at it is just like, have, have you done anything deceptive or manipula manipulative? And and you didn't. You were you were completely honest about it. And and I would assume that the, the other dealership is also... I mean, if you happen to live there, you would have just gone into them and they would have, and test drove it, and they would have just offered it to you at that price. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I would. Have, yeah, that would be my assumption. And so the rest, not to do a Paul Harvey impression, but the rest of the story mm -hmm. is that I, I, I may, I'm, I'm kind of ironing or sanding off the rough edges here of this whole, because it was a little more bumpy than I'm describing. But in at the end of this, I learned that salespeople are salespeople, but they don't make, they they're they're not the they're not the ones who can make the deals. So I I spoke with the the sales manager, whatever his title might be, who reviewed what I had sent in, and actually uh, said, "What if we come down two thousand dollars?" Because I th my my guess is that some people would be like, "Well, if they match the price, then I'll call." The place an hour. Well, I, yeah. they just they they match the price. Can you do any better? And then he just kind of I think I'm I'm I don't don't know. But my guess yeah. is he just wanted to end the conversation there. And yep. as far as I was concerned, that was the end of the conversation, and we proceeded to uh, buy the car. I think in general, like there's there's a lot of of very reputable car dealers that in in some ways still have the reputation of years ago mm -hmm. of um, but. But I think they're they're maybe because of the internet and the ease of communicating and knowing what the prices are at other places, 
Um, uh, it's much easier to haggle, and it's much, uh, and I think you get treated more fairly mm-hmm. as a rule mm-hmm. at, at dealerships. Um, years ago, could I share yeah, you a please. funny story? So this is going back about thirty-five years. Just Wait, after they had cars back then, um, you had a crank. <laughs> but <laughs> um, so my wife and I—we'd just been married. She had a little two-door Subaru. I had a work van, and we were looking for a car that we could drive together. So we were looking for some kind of small station wagon, and we'd found. And the nice thing about the dealerships being closed on Sunday is you could just go to, around to a lot of them and look. And at the used dealerships. Do you remember they used to have the prices? Oh, like, like yeah, like in big letters or big, big numbers. Big numbers. Yeah. And so we went to this one. It was a little used car lot, and 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 we saw these cars, and we found out this uh, Toyota Corolla station wagon. I think that's what it was. It, that that was a, you know in like, a used lot. In a used lot. We're thinking um, we could do we could do that. We could afford that one, and and it, and so we we're thinking about that. We happened to mention it to my wife's father. So my father-in-law says, oh, I, I know a guy who's a, a salesman at that lot. We went to high school together. I'll contact him. So he contacts him and says, okay, go, go by and see Jerry. He'll give you a really good deal on that car. So we go by to see Jerry. We drive up. The price on the windshield is $1,000 more than it had been the day before. <laughs> and you <laughs> and, knew what car you are coming to look at. He knew exactly what car we were coming to look at. They had raised the price by a thousand dollars. Because they had a deal for you. They had a deal for us, and and I'm sure the scam was going to be that he would give us a re- he would knock it way down yeah. for just for us because he was a friend of our father-in-law. So um, what did you end up doing? Uh, we pulled up, we looked at it, and we said, uh, "Jerry comes right out," and we said. Hi, Jerry. We were told to come and meet you, but uh, we just see what's on the windshield there, and we're not going to do business with you. We didn't talk to him about the car at all. And then that was it. That was it. And you, and you found, what did you find instead? Do you remember? Uh, we ended up finding a, a, going to another lot, finding a, a used uh, station wagon, and that served us well for about 10 years, uh, hauling hauling goods across the country while we were in grad school. Well, you can't ask for much more than that. Uh, but I remember telling our father-in-law about that, and he said, that Jerry, he was always a snake in high school, too. <laughs> <laughs> As a reminder, the Ethical Life podcast is a production of Lee Enterprises. Please subscribe to the Ethical Life podcast, and be sure to check out Rick's column, which is about the very topic today, And that can be found on all Lee newspaper websites for Rick Kite. I am Scott Rada. Thank you for joining us. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.